As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined once more after a brief hiatus by Paul Tenorio. Paul, it's been, I guess it hasn't been that long since our last show went out to listeners, but it's been a while now since we've recorded together. Are you feeling good? Yeah, you, are you, you, are you, you stepped out on me. You saddle? stepped out on me with Pablo. It's okay. I mean, I, it wasn't so much a step out. It was more of a bonus episode. You know, so there's just like a little extra on top. I don't want to mince words here or anything, but yeah, you know, it's fine. It's fine. You have allocation disorder, but I'm not on it. It's fine. You couldn't call it a different name. Could have been like a (laughs) bonus episode of Total Soccer Show or something. No, it had to be allocation disorder. So, you know. Total Soccer Show is not my show. It's not your show. You know, that's, that's not our, that's not our, that's not our purview. We can't, we can't be doing that. That's, that's out of our out of our league really i mean well, that's not our next show. time you do a show with pablo we can brainstorm some show titles and we'll call it its own show it'll be a one-off episode of whatever All your right. show is with pablo we'll call it we'll call it the athletic soccer show um abbreviated ass how about that that's perfect i like that <laughs> all right i've always been known so to it like has that. been a while anyways <laughs> it has been a while since we, we spoke and a decent amount has happened um on tuesday election day uh, we had a very oh, it was an it was an American themed day, I think, and that extended to the soccer world. Uh, the U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter, manager, uh, named a 24 man roster that I believe is now down to 23 men um, for upcoming friendlies on November 12th against Wales in Swansea and against Panama in Austria. And due to the COVID 19 pandemic, those those teams are pretty much. European only for the most part, um, with an exception here or there. Um, and it's a very young team. This is sort of like, I made the joke that it's, this is like the fever dream of USMNT Twitter. Like, this is like all the young kids that you're talking about and you're hyping up. Um, they're all getting called in. Um, the, the dudes that you always think are going to be snubbed. Well, they're not snubs this time. Um, the average age is 21 years, 300 days, nine players participating in the Champions League and 10 who have yet to receive their first cap, including Gio Reyna, Chris Richards, Conrad De La Fuente, and Eunice Musa, Paul. Um, so let's we'll get into overall thoughts on the roster here in a moment. But I wanted to start with Musa. Um, tell us a little bit about about this guy who you broke some news on um, earlier. I think that was this week. Yeah, it was this week. Um, well, Eunice Musa is an intriguing prospect for the U.S. team. He's never been involved with the U.S. national team program. Um, he's actually played extensively for the England youth national team. Um, Yunus Musa was born in New York. He has said on the record before that he was born while his mom was on vacation in the United States. Uh, moved to Italy and grew up his first nine years in Italy and then went to London where he eventually joined the Arsenal Academy. And he has featured for England's youth national teams at the U15, U16, U17 and U18 levels. Um, But seeing a difficult path to the first team at Arsenal, he ended up leaving Arsenal instead of signing there and signed with Valencia in Spain. And um, we've seen Valencia go with a a much younger team, uh, a much lower budget this season. 
And as a, as a result, Yunus Musa has featured for Valencia and done very well in La Liga in his first uh, seven or eight games in Spain's first division. He's played mostly on the right wing, uh, right midfield in a 4-4-2. Um, he spent his youth career playing centrally. And that's how Greg Berhalter sees him. Now, they started scouting him about a year and a half ago when he was in Valencia's youth ranks. Nico Estevez, who's an assistant on Greg Berhalter's staff, formerly worked for Valencia. So they were aware of him and the fact that he had an American passport and started the conversations with with the player then about potentially coming to play for the U.S. So um, very intriguing in that he can fit a, a, a a need for the U.S. because I think Gio Reyna is going to play on the right wing. They need somebody who can play in that attacking midfield role in a, a three-man midfield. Um, but I think it's also interesting because it shows the amount of research and outreach that the U.S. staff is doing in looking for these dual nationals, or in, in this case, quad nationals. Um, he's also eligible to play for Ghana and Italy. Um, but, you know, another example is Nico Giaucini. Um who's on the roster as well from plays in the second division in France, somebody that Greg Berhalter has scouted and called in for his first camp. So um, definitely doing his work to, to look for players who could help reinforce this pool, especially in, in these key attacking positions. It's really interesting. It's an interesting development. It's not new, right? The U S has been doing this for a long time in terms of recruiting new dual nationals. But um, I like the way you put it, like leaving no stone unturned, turning over every rock, whatever, whatever, you know, geological an analogy you just made well i think um, it's also worth I think, pointing out that people criticize greg berhalter right and they say that he prefers major league soccer players over european yeah. players which is not true it's demonstrably not true in fact if you look at the teams that have played under berhalter and you subtract the minutes played from january camp where no european players are are available and even by the way in the last january camp he was able to get an exception to that rule by getting ulianes to uh to come to january camp convincing his club to release him so um you know this is i think indicative of the fact that he has continued to look for these players and there are multiple examples on this roster of players that greg berhalter has brought into the program in his time in charge serginho dest johnny cardoso from Inter internacional in brazil uh Yunus musa and uh nico giacchini so um, multiple examples of the recruitment that's going on in U.S. soccer that, like you said, was a big part of Jurgen Klinsmann's era in charge of the national team and continues to be a big part of Greg Berhalter's. And, you know, Arena and Bradley did it too. Sure. I don't want to throw, I don't want yeah, to. Bob Bradley brought Jermaine Jones in. We can go yeah. down the list. Um, I think it's interesting, kind of, it seems like the ones that Greg is finding are a little bit less obvious maybe, but maybe that's a little bit of recency bias on my part. Either way, it's an interesting roster. It's an exciting roster. Paul, what are you most interested and excited by about this group? I think probably to get some answers in the attacking third of the field, I, the most intriguing part is to see the core of this team together for the first time. Tyler Adams has only played for Greg Berhalter once. We've only seen... Adams, Weston McKinney, and Christian Pulisic on the field together once under Greg Berhalter. We'll get all three of them and Gio Reyna on the field for the first time ever. Um, and that's going to give us a good indication of what this team, what this group looks like and, and how they play together. We're going to see them play in a 4-3-3. Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney are going to be the core of that three-man midfield. And Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna are going to be on the, the two wings on the attacking line. And then you start to try to fill in the gaps of who's going to play around them. Um, we might not get an answer for the number nine in this camp because Werder Bremen announced today, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, that they're not releasing any players or all but one player um, are remaining at the club because of quarantine restrictions due to COVID. So we won't see Josh Sargent. Um, we're waiting for confirmation on that from U.S. Soccer, but it seems like we won't see Josh Sargent with this group. So still some questions around the number nine. I mentioned the attacking midfield position. Um, but I still think you learn a lot just getting those four players on the field together at the same time. And uh, because those are the those are the four names that I think are going to matter most for not just this cycle, but the 2026 cycle as well. I agree wholeheartedly. And my my most interesting thing that I'm looking at, you know, obviously you want to see the uncapped guys. Right. And that's the natural draw. See how they perform at a senior international level if they do indeed get a debut. Um, but the thing I'm really going to be looking for is Adams and how he plays in that three-man midfield. Because for me, you know, there's all this focus on the attacking side, but for me, Adams is kind of maybe the most important piece. 
in terms of how the entire team operates from that from that deeper lying midfield position. Um, it's going to be a different role than what he plays at Red Bull for sure. It's a much different system. It's not as not as high octane, if you will. Um, probably requires a little bit more positional discipline, I would say. And I think Adams has that in his bag. Certainly, I'm not really concerned about that. I am very interested to see how him and McKenney pair together. Um, I think that's because because you don't really have like a super clean passer in that duo. Um, I think Adams is probably better at it than McKenney is at, at this point. Um, but there's no natural like guy to circulate the ball around. There's not like a a Michael Bradley right who's who's going to set the tempo and, and maintain it for 90 minutes. Now they're both young. I'm sure one or both of them will grow into that at some point. Um, but seeing how they pair together at the start is something that I'm going to be keeping my eye on, certainly, uh, particularly in the first game against Wales, because I think against Panama, this U.S. team shouldn't have too much trouble. Um, although that game, you know, it's in Austria. Who knows? Like, it's it's a weird one. It's 2020, folks. Um, but, Paul, I, with Sergeant out, who do you think we are going to see at striker? You know, it's a really good question. I'm waiting to see whether or not U.S. soccer announces a replacement in this roster. Aaron Johansson could be somebody who steps in, um, who's been scoring a lot of goals at Hammerby. But I think Sebastian Soto is going to get a chance to win the starting job. And I actually think the person who's going to start is Nico Giacchini. Um, he, he's played really well in France. Uh, he can play on the right wing. He can play up top. Uh, I know Greg Berhalter really rates him. Um, and I think he's a pretty good player, just a player we don't see play at the club level because we no one's really watching Ligue 2 uh, in the United States. Um, we know a lot more about... Duh. <laughs> yeah, we know a lot more about, uh, you know, every MLS player, Iowak and Ola, than we do about somebody playing in the second division of France. Um, he, this could be a really good opportunity for him to open up some eyes and to really put himself in the conversation in what is a, a wide open battle at the number nine spot, probably behind Jossie Zardes. Um, right now, I think Jossie Zardes is, is the starter at the number nine position while Josie Altador continues to kind of try to get healthy. Um, and while some of these younger forwards try to make a case, Daryl DK, Akinola, I mentioned early, Ibobase has some support to, to play at the number nine spot for the U.S., though he hasn't consistently played there in Major League Soccer. Um, this could be somebody who, who steps into that role and, and who becomes a real challenger at the position. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And that, like you said, that's one where the unknown is massive, right? Um, and that's kind of the interesting thing around all of these discussions. We always fall in love with the unknown, and then we see the guy and maybe it falls short of the own our own expectations that we build up internally. Um, and, like, this is the ultimate roster for that. And so, like, I'm excited for that just to, like, see, okay, how is the fan base going to react once they see these dudes in action? And how am I going to react? Because I've never seen Giacchini play. Like, I don't watch League Duh, as fun as that is to say. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know I'm if that's be, how you say it. My Spanish it is obviously is much better than my French. It's probably not. It's probably not how you say it. But whatever. we'll ask we, we never he speaks. We French. never cl- we never claim to speak French on this show. So I feel comfortable just just rocking with it. Um, so I think that's really interesting. You know, these are a lot of young guys. Are these games going to tell us a lot? No, it's merely the first step um, in what hopefully is a long journey over these next two and five and a half years now. Um, for the U.S. men's national team. Um, but it's exciting to to actually see the group um, or the core of the group or what might be the core of the group finally get together and finally be able to take that first step. I think that's the most exciting part. You mentioned that, too. We don't need to spend a ton of more time on the U.S. national team unless there's anything else you, you want to say. Um, there is a lot going on in MLS right now. Uh, decision day is next. It's on deck. It's on Sunday. Regular season finale. The playoff field is set in the West. You got Kansas City, Portland, Seattle, Dallas, Minnesota, LAFC, Colorado, and Matias Almeida, Chris Wondolowski, and the San Jose Earthquakes. Those Colorado and the Quakes clinched on Wednesday night. They bounced the Galaxy, among others. Galaxy, Vancouver, Houston, and Real Salt Lake are the four teams that will not be going out of the West. 
Uh, the Galaxy are certainly the most high-profile team of that group. Um, third time now in four years since Bruce Arena left that they have missed the playoffs. They have Guillermo Barros-Scoloto already got fired. Uh, Chicharito finally scored uh, his second goal um, on Wednesday night against Seattle and then did a LeBron James celebration, um, which I thought was... I mean, it made me laugh. I'll say that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one, Paul. <laughs> um, gotta do what you gotta ab- do for the confidence, I, Sam. I mean, I, I guess. Like, the confidence with one game left in the season after they spent a $10 million transfer fee and paid you $6 million and you haven't done anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess. Go get that confidence, Chicharito. Do you. But uh, that one, I, I raised an eyebrow for sure. I I do want to spend some time talking about the Galaxy in particular. And I know we've done that on this show before. They're one of three teams with a head coaching vacancy at the moment. They haven't done almost... They've done almost everything wrong, really, since 2016. And I'm just confused. I don't get it. Like, it's not that hard to make the playoffs in MLS. More than half the teams make it every single year. The Galaxy are always spending a ton of money relative to their opponents. And to miss it three out of four years is, even knowing and acknowledging that 2020 is a bizarre year, even with that, it's pathetic. And for a club of that size, um, should be really completely unacceptable. And I don't know that that's how it's viewed um, by the bosses at AEG. Well, um, well, Sam, this is this is success or lack of success that's gone across multiple regimes. So where do you think the problems right. are? With the Galaxy? And so and so it's like, you know, Bruce, Bruce Arena left after 16 to take over the national team. They brought in Curtin Alfo and Pete Vahenas. They were gone within basically half of a season. Both of them. Ziggy Schmidt came in. He lasted a little less than a year and a half. Dom Kinnear came in on an interim basis. Then Guillermo Barros Scalotto came in. Um ahead of the 2019 season um a few weeks after Dennis Tecloso was hired as general manager um and none of it has worked and they're still dealing with the same exact problems lots on papered over stuff for them he scored basically every single game and they were average in the standings they weren't great um he scored basically every single game and papered over a lot of issues and then got a lot of blame on the way out. And I did part of that too. I thought they would be better without him. And I look like an idiot for that now. <laughs> but um, this their is defense back-to-back is... shows where you, we during the mea culpa, right? And, and I mean, both Galaxy listen, related. The first one was like Chicharito. Sorry to the fire organization well, th- and everyone I think, else. I think they're both. I think those are intertwined. Yeah, I they definitely are. <laughs> um, but... It's just wild to me. You know, they've given up bottom... They've been bottom five in goals allowed each of the last four years, including the year they made the playoffs. And they they haven't fixed it at all. They have some talented players, no doubt about that. Um, But they don't function as a team and they have not in a long time. And I'm wondering when this gets up to Chris Klein, or if it ever does, who's the club president, and had some success when Bruce was around in that role. But the moment Bruce left, it's been misstep after misstep. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Look, I I think Chris Klein is somebody who is certainly um, put into a prominent role within that organization on multiple levels. We've talked about this before. He's entrusted by ownership to sit on committees um, in the MLS Board of Governors. He sits on the product strategy committee for the LA Galaxy. So his level of power as the president of a club is significant. And in fact, he was given an extension um, after the the failings of the um, 
after the 2017 after the season, 2017 season when they right? finished when in last in the they, entire league they fired Kurt Anolfo after six months and brought in Ziggy and and he got the extension so um I don't know if if the if the blame will reach that office I think that um certainly we saw we see the insulation that is around the president level in MLS clubs all the time um in in Galaxy you can point to uh, Scalotto getting fired in Orlando, for example, you can point to four or five regimes of GMs and coaches being fired. You know, that that spot, that position, because it involves so much more, right? It involves the business side and there are ways to insulate yourself with sporting directors and coaches and, and kind of push the blame that way. Um, but I do think it is con- it is um, indicative of some club issues that, that haven't been sorted out yet. And I've always been an advocate of kind of needing time sometimes to to weed out those issues. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the answer with the Galaxy. Like you said, soccer-wise, when you look at the roster, they have a lot of good pieces. And so you think to yourself, okay, like we did last year, okay, you add a couple pieces here and this is going to be a good team. I think, did you say last last time you picked them to win MLS Cup? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so like you yeah. looking at this roster and you're like, oh, give me one more window, two more windows, sign a center back, sign a number nine, and they're Please on their way, right? And Please now we're, we're two windows later and we're like, all right, you need to sign a center back, maybe another number nine. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to take with the Galaxy. I, I think there's um, a couple places where I think they can clearly be better. Uh, integration of the academy into the first team. They've they've slightly improved that in the fact that they have multiple homegrowns or local young local players playing for the team um, that have contributed. Um, and I think also we know that their DP decisions, I think, have continued to be... I don't know the right way to put this at least influenced by marketing, right? They're not just soccer decisions. They're not just yeah. soccer de- soccer decisions. They never have been. And and that's been that that's been their MO for a long time. And sometimes you're successful in doing that, right? Zlatan was a successful DP, the number of goals that he scored. Um and you know, he was only a one year DP. He was a TAM signing at first member of one of the greatest deals in MLS <laughs> history. He came for a million and a half. Yeah. So yeah, um sure. you know I, I I think Jonathan Dos Santos is a really good player. Sam, I'll put you on the spot here. I think this was a private conversation you had, but you mentioned maybe the possibility of blowing it all up and and trying yeah, to move Jonathan Dos Santos on. Do, do you rip this down to the studs? Like, how do you fix it? And the interesting thing with the galaxy is, is like, okay, Paul, you said you're an advocate of, of giving time, and I am an advocate of that as well. The galaxy are maybe one of the very few, if not only, clubs in MLS that does not behave in that way, where. Every year, they're expected to contend for a title, right? And I think that has that sort of expectation has maybe contributed to a lot of the issues that they have, right? They never strip it down to the studs. It's always, okay, what can we do to just like maybe level up and paper over our issues, mm, you know? They did it, and it lasted about six months under they Kurt Anolfo. Well, it was they terrible. Went, they went it all terrible. LA Galaxy 2, all Academy yeah. kids, and then they it was, it was so bad. Jones. That yeah. they they blew it up after six months, and and sometimes it's not the strap. I'm not saying the Galaxy need to be an academy team. That's not what no. I'm saying. But I think yeah. that they, you know, if you look just down the road at LAFC, here's a club who is focused on finding younger players internationally, and also very quickly developed their academy and are starting to integrate some young academy players, and have done yeah. a nice job signing domestic signings as well. You can, you can do all of those, but you things. can do it all. And the Galaxy yeah. are in a talent-rich area. The fact that they've been so ineffective with their academy is an indictment of the way they run things. Well, it's just a lack of care, right? That's what it shows to me. It shows a lack of a care that they haven't gotten more out of out of their academy, that they haven't gotten more out of that potential fan base, because that's been pretty average, too, I think, on for the most part. And that they've been pretty average with their hit rate on a lot of these international signings as well. They don't do anything really innovatively. They're not really going out and signing young players. They're not tapping into kind of new markets. They're not doing any of that stuff. It's just like average to below average. And they can sometimes outperform that because they have more resources than basically every other team in the league. Um, But I, I don't know. It just... 
it just seems like they're not that interested <laughs> or maybe just not that capable of actually getting this thing off the ground and making it better. That being said, I don't think the first team is so far away. I mean, this this winter is going to be really, really huge. Pavone looks like he's gone, right? Chicharito, who knows? I would not be surprised if they tried to move on from him, um, but I think it's going to be really, really hard to find a taker, right? That's like maybe Chivas Guadalajara on a loan and you're eating $5 million of a $6 million salary. Like, that's maybe the scenario, <laughs> and maybe that's the only one. So I don't, I don't know if you're going to get rid of him. Um, and so you're going to have guys that you need to replace and you're also gonna have to rebuild that back line which you have not done you've tried a few times um but like if i'm dennis Teclosa and if i'm chris klein and if i'm whoever the new coach is my first priority is center backs that's my yeah. first priority well i just like, want to go back real quick and say like we i will give them credit in not credit but just say i understand some of these mistakes right like we were all about Chicharito to MLS. We thought that that was going to be a really good move. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Gio Dos Santos. Like no one thought Gio Dos Santos was going to be as big of a bust as he's been. He wasn't. Um, he wasn't he that was. big of a bust. He, he, he had a really good year. He made a best eleven. Like he, he, he wasn't like he was year. all bad. Yeah. He had one good year. But that's the point. Is like any MLS team would have signed Gio. Like that's the thing about the Galaxy that's so frustrating. Is like they can sign the types of players that any team in MLS would want to sign. And while while some teams are looking to Mexico now to sign bigger players and even the kind of the next tier down, the Galaxy have been signing the biggest Mexican players that there are. Like three of the biggest names in Mexican national team have played or are playing for the Galaxy. Um, and so I do want to point that out. It, it's just been unfortunate that Gio's form dropped as much as it did and that Chicharito has been so such a significant miss. And I really wouldn't be surprised if Chicharito stays if he ends up having a better year next year because of the amount of public scrutiny he's facing, not just here in MLS. I, in fact, to a lower degree here in MLS, but back home in Mexico. I mean, he's a prideful guy. I could I could see that spurring him onto a big year, but there are... Or, or a LeBron celebration. You know. Yeah, I mean, maybe that was the beginning of a of a LeBron esque <laughs> performance. Point. It's the turning but, point. And, and, and next year at this time, when we, when he's MVP, I'll we'll play yeah. back the clip of you criticizing the LeBron celebration. It'll be wonderful. Um, we can play back ki- clips. I don't know. Yeah, don't sure. take inventory of my takes. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we try not to be responsible for anything we say on this show. Um, only occasionally do we have to acknowledge it when people text it to us later. But uh, Sam, sorry, just quickly, I do agree with you. There, this is a fixable roster, and it, and it leads me to this question, Sam. There are it's three fixable, coaching... but it's not easy fix. No, it's no, no. But fix. it's not it's not far away. And so my question is: There's three jobs open in MLS right now, right? Galaxy, Atlanta, DC United. If you're a coach, and you could you could get all three of those jobs, any of those three, what job do you want? Which is the closest to winning? Oh, obviously DC United. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you even asking me this question? Don't ask questions you already know the answer to, Paul. Um, no, not DC United. That one is far and away third. Um, I don't know. LA and Atlanta? Kind of a toss-up. Um, and it depends what you want, I think, as a coach. And like how much control you're going to get. What your relationships are like with Dennis DeClosa and Chris Klein in LA. And Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Niels in Atlanta. Um <sighs> I lean Atlanta, though. I lean Atlanta. Uh, I think they have better infrastructure. Uh, I think they they certainly, you know, I don't know if there's more money in Atlanta, but there's not less. Um, so money's about equal. Uh, they don't have the talent base that LA does, but it ain't bad. Um, that's for sure, down there in Georgia. Um, and I would, I think I would rather coach in that market with 70,000 fans screaming every Saturday or 50 every Saturday, 70 sometimes. Um, than being the second most relevant team in Southern California. Um, yeah. So I, I think I would pick Atlanta. What about you? Yeah, I have to agree. And there's a, there's a few reasons I'll mention that you didn't mention, which is Joseph Martinez is coming back next year, right? So if you if he's anything approaching sure. what he's been, he, he does what Zlatan did for the Galaxy, right? He can paper over some of the issues that were far more prominent this year. And oh, do Atlanta have issues. My goodness. For sure. And I think, yeah. But I think also when you look at Atlanta – 
There are, again, I think there are some fixable areas here where you can you have a little bit more flexibility, right? You're going into an Olympic year. That, that's going to lead you to a place with Barco where you can make a decision. Maybe you can sell him and open up a DP slot. That's enticing. Maybe. Or think, maybe he will mysteriously not train or play ever. Who I think if you, if you look at the, the back line, <laughs> there are areas where it's very clear you can make make some additions to, to get this team better. I like some of the young players they have in the system. I think in midfield, there are some areas you know you can add add a, a box-to-box guy. You can add another winger, right? They, there are some players that were brought in this year by Atlanta who could be better, Jurgen Dom being one yeah, of them, right? I, I, don't, I don't even look at the rosters really, though, so much but in my calculus. Sometimes. Now that I went down the roster, though, Sam, I think I'm, I'm actually wrong in the sense of flexibility because all these yeah. guys were signed this past yeah. offseason. You're no, kind of stuck there's with less that flexibility in Atlanta, Maybe I'm I convincing think. myself. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I look at the owners and I look at the infrastructure, right? And like, not to say Phil Anschutz is a bad owner; he's just more absent, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? He gives money, which I have is no cool. problem with Anschutz as an yeah. owner. He's in the background yeah. and he's giving me the money I need. Yeah, I have a exactly. bigger problem with that's, the infrastructure. I don't know what the scouting totally cool. system looks like for the Galaxy compared. To, I, I I don't yeah. imagine that it exceeds that in Atlanta, which has an analytics setup. They have a scouting yeah, and, network, and, and the real thing I think that gives the advantage to Atlanta, from my perspective, when I'm doing this little thought exercise, is the Galaxy. All right, am I going to have to go sign a player that I don't want using one of my 3DP spots because it might sell some tickets or it might get me on the bottom line of ESPN or that player might be able to go on, you know, uh, Jimmy Kimmel from time to time. Like Atlanta, I don't have to worry about that, right? I can sign whoever I want um, as long as it's in the price range. Like it doesn't matter if it's a name or not. Um, so I think that that kind of tips the balance for me. But who, like... Where do you see these teams going? And I want to bring DC back into this mix, too. Where do you see these teams going with their hires? Hello, Allocation Disorder listeners. This is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, taking a moment to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Policy Genius. Shopping for life insurance can seem like a very daunting task, but if you've got loved ones that depend on you, it is very important. As I said on yesterday's Total Soccer Show, I believe it was, uh, I do not have life insurance. I feel like I need to get it. I'm making a vow that I'm going to get it sometime in the near future. It's been a stressful time, but I feel like that can't be on the back burner for too long. And I do appreciate that Policy Genius makes that process very easy, or at least my assumption is that it will. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to help save you time and money. Right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, those savings really start to add up. And while those savings should add up, the complications getting them will not. You head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Nobody wants in-person medical exams, so let's hope for that. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape, and the best part is they will work for you, not the insurance company. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode of Allocation Disorder. Now back to Paul and Sam. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I'm torn on DC United because on one hand, I believe they will take the cheapest possible option. Right. Like if Chad Ashton leads DC United to the playoffs and wins one playoff game, I can absolutely imagine Chad Ashton on a one year contract coming back with DC Ashton. Um, I'm saying that <laughs> on the same side, they also feel like the kind of 
exact example of a team that will try to be a copycat and and hire a foreign coach in order to kind of join the club. Um, even though there are some very strong domestic candidates, I think um, in MLS right now that that would fit at DC United. Um, so I, I don't know which way they're going to go. I don't have much faith that they're going to make the right decision. I'm actually pretty <laughs> disappointed in the direction of DC United, if I can be honest. Um, you don't I, say. Well, well I, why would you be disappointed with what they're doing as a club? Well, I interviewed their owner a few years back, and he he said all the right things about MLS being at a breaking point and needing to Levy spend and more. Kaplan. Kaplan, I spoke with Kaplan, and Stephen he, Kaplan. Stephen Kaplan is the owner, and he he talked about you know this league in this, uh, you know in this country we we want people to be aggressive, and you know you're going to reach these moments where you have to make these decisions, and MLS is at a breaking point, and I think we should spend more and be more aggressive, and that's how you build more success, and and DC United hasn't been that. Now they brought in Wayne Rooney which I thought was actually a good move at the time. And I, I still believe it was a good move, even the way it ended. Um, and they went and spent money on Flores, but it has, the spending has to go beyond just a DP here or a DP there, right? We know that you, you look at the clubs that are successful in this league and the spending is scouting and sports science and analytics and infrastructure in addition and- to and security guards for your stadium. And, and security guards for your stadium. So I'm disappointed in that they, they still feel like a, I don't know, like a bare bones, uh, old old MLS formula. Like, let's find one DP and then be cheap everywhere else and we'll make it work scenario. Um, and that's disappointing because they have the stadium now. They have a, they have a chance to build something and it's, it's not happening. I can't think straight about DC because I know what it could be. <sighs> You're too emotional. You get sad about it. I understand. It's like me one time. One Fire. time, I I gave an interview. I did. I gave an interview. I did an interview with Ben Olsen. We were in his office. <laughs> ben Olsen down. interviewed you. No, that, ca- kind that's of. You something know I'd be ben interested Olsen. in reading. Um, <laughs> and he said to me, you know, he said to me, basically, like you're you're sentimental because I I was talking to him about the opening of Audi Field and. Um, you, know, you the, are. They were, You're they were emotional. Going, they were going through the stuff with the, You're the bleeding heart group. DC United fan. And I, I, I do have a sentimentality about about MLS and about these these original teams that are struggling. And certainly for the team that I grew up rooting for, for my young portion of my life, there was a part of my life where I kind of stopped paying attention to MLS before coming back to the league in a professional aspect um, in adulthood, but. You know, I, I just feel like DC United had so much uh, momentum and such a great identity, and and that so much of that's been lost, and that does make me sad. It, it, it disappoints me. So, who are they going to hire? Hmm. I I You've interviewed I, Jill Ellis apparently. Or no, I don't think they're. I, I've heard Ezra Hendrickson. I saw Steve Goff reported that he made a really good impression, and and will be one of the four or five finalists. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I could see them hire, I, you know who I think they're going to hire. I'm going to, I'm going to go outside the box here. Not really outside the box, very inside the DC United box. I think they're going to hire Chris Armas. Wow. Going from the Red Bulls to DC United, little Atlantic cup exchange. That's just um, purely a guess. Just like it fits the yeah. mold of what DC United It does United fit the do. mold. It really does. Um, that would be interesting. Um, Armas, you know, I don't think he did a bad job the red bulls uh i don't think he did great either um you know we've seen their results improve since he left so um, that's not a great moment for him certainly but it is going to be interesting i definitely think dc will kind of go the cheaper route compared to the other two clubs i do want to throw something at you though i did a story on the crew a month ago or so a few weeks ago and i spoke to the president and gm of the team tim bezbachenko who prior to joining columbus ahead of the 2019 season was GM in Toronto, where he won MLS Cup, made it to a few finals, Champions League final, Supporters' Shield winner, all that, very successful. Um, and he brought this up unprompted. I was talking to him about Caleb Porter, so I guess not entirely unprompted, but he went off on this kind of tangent. And I'll just read you the quote he gave me. He said, I don't think domestic coaches get enough respect. I know coaches have said it, but as someone with a different role within the club, I want to say it. I think the media, that's you and me, Paul, 
fawns over international coaches, and it happens over and over again. We have to stop apologizing for who we are as a country and start honoring and respecting our coaches and their tactical and technical ability. I think Caleb's reflective of that. Everyone does it in their own way. I think Caleb is different than Greg Vanny, is different than Peter Vermees, but they all succeed, and I think you've seen tremendous development and growth of our coaches, and that's exciting for someone like me. And this gets at kind of a broader theme. It's a theme as old as MLS of domestic versus international coaches. And it's one that has kind of evaporated, I would say, over the last five years or so. Is that fair? Because um, you've had international coaches like Patrick Vieira and Dome Toron in New York City and Tata Martino in, El- in Atlanta, excuse me, and Matias Almeida to an extent um, in San Jose. Yeah, I think... You know, they made the playoffs. They're out for, outperforming expectations in San Jose. Right? Okay. As I'm of yesterday, saying, they, they have now... I'm not saying they're out. a great team, but they've outperformed expectations in San Jose. Um, foreign coaches that have come in and done pretty well, right? And sort of bucked the old trend, for instance. Now you have the other side, Guillermo Barros, Scalotto, Frank DeBoer. Not so hot. Um, those are two of the openings that, that we've been talking about. But... It is interesting because to me, if I'm the Galaxy in particular, like I need someone to come in and set a foundation, you know, I need someone who's, who's going to commit and who's going to be there for a while and someone who understands the league, understands what it takes, isn't going to just go and say, okay, I want to bring in my guys from country Y in South America and country X in Europe, um, but can go out and find a, I don't know, a Dave Romney, former LA Galaxy player who can come in and bring some stability and be decent and just improve your team and raise the floor, right? And I think there's value in that. And one of those guys that Bezpachenko mentioned, free agent, oddly enough, out of contract after this season, potentially anyway. So, well, uh, and that's that's Greg Vanio. But, Paul, what do you think about it? I'm going to make a couple comments. First, I'm going to speak on your behalf here and say that you kind of don't count the foreign coaches who have been in the United States for a while, just to be clear. So like Gary Smith, who won an MLS Cup, had been around for a while. Adrian Heath was coaching in the USL for a long time. Oscar Perea had spent most of his career playing in the United States, playing in, U- in MLS and then coming up. Yeah. And, and so those yeah. guys in, in your mind are kind of considered domestic, yeah. domestic coaches, yes. right? Yes. MLS um, coaches. MLS so we'll, we'll be clear about that. If there's a reason why we're not mentioning those names, it's because that's not the box we're thinking about, right? Um, I, I do think that the, the language or the thought around foreign co- coaches certainly changed with Tata Martino and his success and Patrick Vieira and his success. I think before that, it was pretty widely noted and said that foreign coaches don't succeed in MLS. That was the line, that they can't, right? Because they don't understand the league and all of its intricacies. And I think that is out the window. Um, certainly, I think it's gone the complete opposite direction, right? There's this huge movement in MLS right now to focus on international talent in the front office, both in the coaching role and in the sporting director GM role, right? We see especially a number of general managers slash sporting directors slash technical directors, CSOs, chief soccer officers, are being hired from abroad. And we know that trend is related to Major League Soccer's desire to be more active on the global market. Um, you know, they've they've recommend um, these talent groups to help headhunt uh, people uh, won't go into those groups now, but it might be worth writing about later. Um, but there's two groups who have been very active in in MLS in doing that, and you know I do think that it has devalued in the eyes of ownership. I, I do think there has been a such a concerted effort to recommend these these foreign hires that it has devalued the domestic talent that exists in the league and i think to the detriment of the league this if you look around any other professional sports league in the united states there is one trend that occurs everywhere if you are a part of a successful franchise you are poached to go to another team right everyone wants a piece of what makes that club successful. doesn't always work right? by the way just take a look. It at, doesn't always take work. A look at Bill you can Belichick's look at Bill Belichick's coaching, coaching tree. tree. Sure. But but if you look in the front office, typically that is more successful, right? Guys who have worked under successful GMs who know how to put an organization together. Um, you know, you, you want what you're really trying to do is bringing in the ideas of the organization, right? Of these organizations that are already set up to run well. And what do they do well? And can we do that here? And I think there are a lot of talented people in the league, and some of them don't go places because of 
personal choices of where they're from and where they live. And I understand that too. Um, but I think the league doesn't do a great job of recognizing that. Like, like Gonzalo Pineda should be a head coach in major league soccer this coming year, right? He should get one of these jobs. He's, he's done well with Seattle and Brian Schmetzer's staff. He's won an MLS cup. He's got experience playing in a world cup. He's played in league MX. He's played in MLS. Like why wouldn't he be a candidate who is hired as a head coach? Why would he be considered less qualified than the types of coaches that we've seen get jobs like Anthony Hudson in Colorado? Um, and that's just one example. Um, you can go around the league and look at, at some other examples of, of foreign coaches, San Jose, um, with uh what's his name how, how do Mikhail i Starry. Mikel Starry. thank you um you know, and so i i think there should be more consideration given to some of these um these kind of front office number twos and um and to some of the coaches and assistant coaches and also in mls we don't see a lot of coach poaching right oscar pareja was traded once but there hasn't really been like the, the because there's not really super clubs in this in this league. There hasn't really been an example of like an Atlanta United being like, you know what, Oscar Pereira has been brilliant in Orlando. You stole my like, thunder. Him. You stole my thunder. If I'm, I'm Atlanta, sorry, that's what I'm it. trying, man. I'm trying that. If I'm the Galaxy, I'm trying to get Greg Vanny. Like, go for it. Try and make that happen. Yeah, be spicy. I mean, I think Greg Vanny's very close to signing an extension. Um, I think. Brian Schmetzer in Seattle is less close to signing an extension, but both of them are, are yet to sign their extension. Like, why wouldn't you reach out? Um, it would be dumb not to, at least if they don't sign an extension before the end of the year. Like, you can reach out now that under contract, their, their employer does not have to let you talk to them. Um, so that's a reason why they might not be doing anything at the moment. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how these shake out. Um, I think particularly with LA and Atlanta, DC, I think we have a sense, right? I think you said it, it'll probably be domestic and a little bit cheaper and they'll probably continue doing similar things to what they've done over the last few years. Aside from that sort of brief blip, um, that we saw end of 17 start of 18, uh, when they were opening up the stadium. So I don't know. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting. We got decision day this weekend, Paul. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. Sorry, before we before we go to decision day and or wrap up this episode, I, I do want to say one thing that, that maybe this is another episode for the not too distant future, which is you know talking about DC United falling back into their habits of doing the things that they've done for most of their existence. Um, we're gonna we we have a chance to potentially see um, which clubs are are willing to take that next step next year if the youth transfer fund or as we call it on this show young money please insert Lil wayne here taylor thank you um if young money comes around um you know that there's some potential for some significant spending and i think we'll learn about some of the ownership groups um with the introduction of that even if they use the young money slots to sign players how much they're putting into those spots will tell us a little bit because you do have the unlimited transfer fee um, so anyways, it just sparked that idea in my head. We'll, we'll talk about that more on another show. Um, but I, I think, I think it'll be a little bit, just a, a little bit harder for some of these ownership groups to, to hide the more we, we introduce DP like spots into the league. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think that trend will continue slowly, but surely as with most things in MLS slowly, but surely as time goes. Um, I do want to put you on the spot here before we take off. Uh, the the playoff field is set in the West. It is not set in the East, where 10 teams out of 14 make it in. Um, there are five teams fighting for the final two spots. Montreal and Chicago, currently above the line. Got DC, Miami, and, oh God, Atlanta. Why am I blanking? Um, below the line. Uh, DC and Montreal actually play this weekend. Um, so, you know, DC could, if they win that, they could theoretically get in. Who's going to take those final two spots, Paul? Yeah, that's that is definitely putting me on the spot. Um, I think I think Chicago's going to win at home against to close NYCFC. out the season against NYCFC, a very good NYCFC team. Chicago's been not great on the road this year, but they've come very close to some results. They're actually playing decent soccer and they they just haven't been able to get over the just get over the hump on the road. I mean, 2 2 nothing lead 
last night, uh, Wednesday night, that they blew. How many road um, games on the road? Fire one in the last like three None. years? Oh, in the last three years, probably like two or three. It's not been good. <laughs> no. Um, but I think they're going to win that game at home. I do actually think they're, they've played some decent soccer for stretches. I'm not going to go as far as Gary Smith and anoint them as, as Bayern Munich. The best but I footballing think team in the world. <laughs> they, they, played, they played some good soccer. And um, I think that, I mean, I think Inter-Miami has the most winnable game. They're playing Cincinnati. They're playing Cincinnati. So if the Fire won and Inter-Miami won, that would definitely put the Fire in at 26 points. If Miami wins over Cincinnati, which I think you can expect, that's 24 points. So then it comes down to that Montreal-DC United game. and You're just writing off Atlanta, who are playing at Columbus. They have the toughest match. I, I am writing Atlanta off. I don't think they're very good. They're certainly I think not they, good. The, the struggles have been... I, I, I think it's going to come down to whether or not D.C. United and Montreal is a draw or not. I think Miami will win. I think Chicago will win. And I think if Montreal can win that game or D.C. United can win that game, then the winner of that game will be in. So I'm not going to pick a winner in that game. No, you know what? I am going to pick a winner in that game. Thierry Henry and Montreal Impact are going to make the playoffs. So the, the people in 9-10 now are going to be 9-10 when it's over. All right. Really going on a limb there. What do you got, Sam? I will say that if Montreal draw... In Miami win, um, unless Miami scores like a lot of goals, like seven or eight, uh, Montreal would, would be ahead of them on tiebreaker. So there you um, go. A so draw, even a even draw more reasonable. Probably unless Atlanta and Chicago win, a draw is probably good enough for the impact. Um, so yeah, I'll say the impact also get in. Um, I think Miami is going to edge out the fire. I don't think the fire are going to win. I think they'll probably draw. Um, so you have Atlanta losing or drawing as well? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have them losing or drawing. Uh, I know I don't have them winning. So uh, <laughs> one of the other two. <laughs> well, we've reached consensus on yes. that. And that means have them undoubtedly that you should put your money on Atlanta because Sam and I have agreed on something. <laughs> or you should put your house on the crew. That's what you should do. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, what did I say? Montreal and in Miami. Now I feel like it's Chicago. Whatever. Montreal or Miami. I'll, I'll go with those. This is, uh, this is the surprise return of Never Bet MLS, I feel like, is what just happened. Um, it wasn't planned, that's for sure. But hey, it's it's a big week for gaming out potential future scenarios. So why not get out of the action? Anyway, uh, I think with that, we're going to wrap it up. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. We were back together again, and we'll be back again next week, next time on Allocation Disorder.